Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is Blown Away. It's Die Hard in Boston. Oh, wait, sorry. It's Die Hard in Boston. Oh, wait, sorry. It's Die Hard in Boston. Oh, man, now, this episode we have a special brought... guest on the show today. <laughs> the Lucky Charms Leprechaun is here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> In addition to the Lucky Charms Leprechaun, we have a special guest on the show, and his name is Liam Billingham, who is a, an expert on Boston Irish culture. Yeah, so, something uh, like that. Because you're from Boston, or the Massachusetts area, right? Born and raised. So do you remember much about when this movie came out, because I gather it was the biggest budgeted film ever shot in Massachusetts at that time. And there wasn't a ton of films that were were showcasing Boston on yeah. screen at that time, 1994. I have a memory of this movie coming out as like, oh, a new action movie. I did watch it. I had not seen it since maybe its VHS release in like 1995. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I remember, um, I, I mentioned last week that I was, I, I saw, I, I have this vivid memory of being on holiday with my parents and seeing this TV in, right. in, the, in, the, um, in the corner of the room that was with no sound on. And it was showing the top 10 movies at the US box office, uh, one of which True Lies was number one, but Blown Away was in that, uh, was also in the top 10 at that time. And they, they were all, all of these films, even with the sound off, looked absolutely incredible. And I will say that this film has a fucking phenomenal trailer. Like yeah. one of the best trailers I've ever seen. And diehard uh, aficionados will 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 you know notice the score uh, the the music that's being used, which is which is Beethoven in the trailer. But it's really an extraordinary trailer. It's basically all structured as a sort of countdown and the numbers are flying towards you and the imagery of this film was was really, really striking. I, I so I was pumped for it. I think I saw it on video. I you know and I was disappointed with with the film i've kind of got a weird relationship i keep coming back to it and then i rewatched it like a few months ago like late at night kind of half asleep really dug it i watched it again yesterday and i i was going through the stages of what psychologists call helsinki syndrome where i i started to actually <laughs> oh my god really like the film and and root for it and like yeah defend it it's interesting because one of the things we 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 try to do here at die hard on a blank industries is approach every movie with a <laughs> open mind but 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 phil before before we yes. go there should we yes. should we have a little top line fact check about the film blown away yeah yeah so so blown away had its release on july 1st 1994 uh that was approximately three weeks after our last film speed uh which was released on june 10th uh, of that year we are now six years after the release of die hard in the summer of 1988 
The the screenplay for this film was written by John Rice, Joe uh, Batir, and M.J. Roach. So the film was directed by um, Stephen Hopkins, produced by Penn Desham, Richard Barton Lewis, and John Watson. And of course, it stars Jeff Bridges, Tommy Lee Jones, Susan Amis, Lloyd Bridges, and Forrest Whitaker. And on an estimated budget of $8 million, it grossed $53 million. Um, so it mm. turned a profit, but was not considered sort of, you know, a, a, a major hit, but was kind of did okay. Probably, you know, that would be considered um, disappointing, especially when you compare it to Speed's box office. You know, I was thinking about it because I saw Speed at least twice in the movie theater, which was unusual. I didn't re- go to movies a, a second time a lot as a kid, but I saw Speed twice. And I have to imagine that it just sucked all the oxygen out. Exactly. Unless you're sort of a hardcore moviegoer that's going like every, every week. It is kind of unlikely that you would go and see two movies with very, very similar themes, mm-hmm. uh, especially when one of them is significantly better, you know, and has a, a, a kind of broader, broader appeal. There are a lot of things that I do like about this movie. Sure, there are me a lot too. of things that are that are indefensible. We'll get into all that. But before we do, we should talk about Blown Away and Die Hard in our segment, Die Hard DNA. I'm trying to bring all the jokes back because I feel like the internet is clamoring for Marco. It's clamoring for our tenant references. Yeah, it's clamoring yeah, for Jurassic Park. They don't give Park. a shit about all our like high highfalutin analysis. They want the Marco yeah. impressions. So. Play the hits. Yeah, yeah, Play exactly. the hits. Play the hits. Yeah, Play free hits. bird. So Die Hard DNA, th- there's not a ton. The hero uh, played by Jeff Bridges is a flawed family-oriented blue-collar East Coast cop with Celtic ancestry who has an affinity with IEDs and strong detective skills. The hero has a quirky Al Powell-esque sidekick who is a fellow cop. Um, Of course, we've got people jumping away from gigantic explosions, uh, helicopters flying around skyscrapers in major metropolitan cities. There's a classical music motif. The 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky features prominently. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, the original trailer uses Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, aka the Ode to Joy, which was one of the main musical themes of Die Hard. We also have uh, Mm. a character's true identity being exposed via an appearance on a TV news story, something that happens in both films. It features the line, I'll take it under advisement. It unfortunately Mm. doesn't feature the retort, yeah, let's see you take this under advisement, jerkweed. (laughs) Um, And the producer, John Watson, would go on to produce the 1998 TV version of The Taken of Pelham 123. Of course, the the reason I mention that is because of the original 1974 version of The Taken of Pelham 123 was a major influence on Die Hard. Yeah, I love the various iterations of Pelham 123. Me too, me too. I mean, we're going to, yeah. So um, there there was actually quite a lot of Die Hard DNA. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. But let's just... Put this in context with uh, what for anyone that doesn't know about this movie, mm. we'll we'll move into our section on the anatomy of an action movie and just tee up what the premise is, and then we can unpack. Uh, I think the the cultural milieu stuff, which I think is really interesting. And just so, to be clear, our section on the anatomy of an action movie goes into the tenets. We live in, we a, live in a twilight, twilight world. world of an action movie, and there are six. <laughs> the, the, I had to the do listeners it. apparently want that. Yeah, they want. <laughs> they want it back. We, yeah, we thought, well, we're gonna stop doing this. Listeners and your dad. <laughs> listeners and your yeah. dad are like, we want the. My dad doesn't reference. want it. I think my dad finds it incredibly irritating. But um, sorry, dad. Some people, some, some people like it. Some yeah, I like it. it. So. It's, it's this is for me. I do this for me. That's who I do so, it for. All right, Phil. Will you tell me about the premise of the film yes. Blown Away? I'd love to. So I love the it when premise you go, yes, of this film. Yes, yes, yes. 
<laughs> Sorry. Maniacal laughter is on the way. Is on the way. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was coming. channeling Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet last week, Ooh. like unconsciously. <laughs> you with, know, uh, yeah, that's that's the vibe I got too. Something. To be honest, it was there. It was there, and I felt it, and it felt good. Oh, Pat um, Blue Ribbon. Okay, Bourbon, you shithead. Right. Um, Jimmy Dove, played by Jeff Bridges, is a veteran member of the Boston Bomb Squad. Um, and he's planning to retire and settle down with his partner, Kate, played by Susie Amos, and her daughter, Lizzie. When escaped ex-IRA operative Ryan Garrity, played by Tommy Lee Jones, targets him and his fellow team members in a relentless urban bombing campaign. We come to learn that Jimmy and Ryan have a dark history together that traces back to the troubles in Northern Ireland and that Jimmy is in fact Liam McGivney, a former IRA member who has tried unsuccessfully to bury his past. And the ticking clock becomes, can Dove slash Liam take out Ryan Garrity before Garrity kills his new family? Now, obviously, the, the IRA stuff, as you alluded to, is, is kind of like a little bit complicated yeah. because it's only said once, and they actually make a point to say, oh, he was too crazy for that. But then there is talk of like him being recruited out of, uh, you know, uh, out of school. Yeah, he was so like on the it's playground. Clearly, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. They're they're basically trying to thread the needle of implying that this is the IRA whilst doing the same thing that kind of Patriot Games did a little more elegantly, which is like say it was like a splinter group, right, um, or something that was um, a more uh, extreme version that was like not part of the official structure. That that type of thing. It's all it's all it's all a bit icky to to discuss. But so going back to what you were saying though about like w what Boston on film. Right. The, the, it, yeah. Uh, I think now post what, like Goodwill Hunting, The Departed, The Town, yeah. Boston has become quite very fashionable on film, I would say, but maybe not so much yeah. at this time. What's your view on all that? I mean, so I don't remember. Um, there are plenty of movies now uh, like that were made before this that take place in Boston, like Friends of Eddie Coyle, which is the one that, that comes up quite a bit. Um, and the Boston Strangler movie, which was both a film in the 70s and also was recently made. Um, and, th and there are a lot more and I certainly don't know them at all and I certainly would not say that I'm an expert on movies set in Boston. I think there's things this movie does really well with Irish American culture. There's two things that I that I have distinct memories of Irish American weddings and Boston funerals, right? Whenever someone would pass away, we would go to a church in Boston. I was raised 30 miles outside of Boston. So it was always a little removed from me, but we'd go in and there would be a service. And then inevitably I would be at some kind of like someone's house or a hall and the Red Sox would be on. And there'd be men in, in sort of, sorry to say, ill-fitting suits watching the Boston Red Sox. That's a very specific cultural thing that I grew up with. In addition to that, the wedding that's sort of in this hall and there's Irish music, that, it gets that stuff pretty well right. It gets it in a Hollywood way, but it does remind me, as you said, this is a, in my opinion, far less successful movie about local culture like a backdraft or a yeah fugitive or a striking distance right like it doesn't do it as well yeah. but what i'm interested in more what i'm more interested in is your take on what this film is exploring thematically about the irish american yeah. experience so i grew up like with family um a father pretty obsessed with Irish culture. Partially the reason that we went to Ireland was that my sisters were studying there, but also he was like interested in finding his Irish roots. And we found my, this little like shack in Ireland where like my great, great grandmother was raised that was still standing. Like there was this real 
attempt on my father's part to understand that stuff. And it got me thinking about this movie as being kind of about the shame and guilt that's associated with being Irish American and this weird yearning to like go back to Ireland or to embrace your Irish roots, this pull, this weird sense that you owe something to Ireland as a country or that you are your roots are of that. Yeah, you know, what you're saying is really interesting and it actually reminds me of a, a quote from the, the filmmaker that we're contractually ob obligated to mention every episode, uh, Paul Verhoeven. Yes. He had this quote that I, I found fascinating. I'm, I was trying to remember the, the exact, so I'm sorry if I'm, I'm sort of butchering it, but essentially the idea was that, that we all feel that there is a lost paradise um, that was once available to us and we're now cut off from it. Um, and that's actually what he explores mm. in RoboCop. And it might sound like a churlish example, but RoboCop, the character, psychologically is, is yearning for that. Um, imagined lost paradise that he can no longer return to, which was his sort of previous life. You can't go home again, right? And I think probably you as, a, as, a, yeah, as an immigrant yeah. to the United States probably yes. feels that in some ways too. I think it's a universal experience, but this movie, I think unconsciously explores that idea. It's doing it in some like really interesting ways that I think manifest largely in Jeff Bridges's role as Jimmy Dubbs slash Liam McGivney. I think that really he is the key to unlocking this idea of this movie maybe being about the guilt and shame or and and therefore the like the guilt associated with not being like in your homeland, if that makes sense. Oh, well, I love what you just said about the idea that you can't go home again. And certainly that's something that, um, yes, I can relate to as a, as a immigrant here in, in America. It's not obviously literal for me. I, obviously, I can go home. I haven't. But there is that feeling of, wow, I'm on the other side of the world here. The things that were familiar yeah. to me as a, as a child in my formative years or, or whatever are, are very, very distant for, for me now. And it, it's interesting because I, what you're saying about that idea of you can't go home again, um, what does that do to a character when they feel untethered, when they're no longer anchored um, to their their... their you know, their, their sense of who they are is, is kind of what is send, sends Ryan Garrity insane and what is, is destabilizing and torturing um, Jimmy yeah. Dove, a.k.a. Liam McGivney. So I think that's actually really, really interesting. And that's one of the things I like. This movie is complicated because on face value, you can say, look, this film doesn't totally work. Um, there's clearly a lot of problems with the accents, which we're going to get to when we when we pin down the, the characters. There's clearly some insensitivities culturally, but there's something there that it was striving for. So, yeah, go ahead. This is a good moment. This is a good moment to jump into our and I want to talk about them simultaneously is Jeff Bridges yeah. as Jimmy Dove, Liam McGivney. And Tommy Lee Jones as Ryan Garrity and their relationship. There's a choice that bothers me, but also I think is really fascinating, which is the choice to cast Jeff Bridges, who I think is pretty good in the movie. Uh, he's a great actor, but Jeff Bridges is an Irish. Think about Gabriel Byrne doing an American accent for the first hour of this movie. And then when he says, my name isn't Jimmy Dove, all of a sudden, this guy had an Irish brogue. Absolutely. It's part, it's such an interesting idea, but it's done it. It's so muddied in the way that it's done because first of all, it's like, so you're trying to hide your Irish past 
but you moved to a heavily Irish American community in Boston. So what the fuck does it matter? You know, yeah. like, which is it? It's, it's so, it's so like muddled. So he's clearly like wanted in Ireland potentially for being involved with the bombing, but the choice not to cast an Irish actor doing an American accent, of course, it's for bankability of the movie. Jeff Bridges is a movie star. It, it really hurts the story, but I think it creates a weird metaphor that I don't know that the movie is aware that it's doing. We can cover, but first we have to talk about the villain, which is Tommy Lee Jones as Ryan Garrity. I want to give you the floor here, Phil, because you're a Tommy Lee Jones guy. Uh, yeah. And so I want to hear your thoughts okay. on this performance. Well, this is this is difficult for me because yeah. as yeah, as we've discussed, particularly on our episodes on Under Siege and The Fugitive, I am a massive, massive Tommy Lee Jones fan and not just the obvious stuff, right? Like I go back to Rolling Thunder and Stormy Monday and JFK, stuff that's like not his typical so good um, in JFK. persona that has yeah. been subsequently understood, right? And he can do, he does like a Louisiana accent in that and plays a sort of effete potential spy, you know, very against type, but what would subsequently become his, his type. And of course he played Ty Cobb and, you know, he, he is an extraordinary actor. And I think he does have like, even though he's always like, to some extent, you know, he's still very clearly a movie star in the sense that there's consistency that it's always Tommy Lee Jones. He isn't just playing Tommy Lee Jones every time. Like if yeah. you look at the JFK performance, he has the possibility to be somewhat chameleonic, uh, if, even if he's always still got, you know, the things that we love about him. But in in this movie, it's it's kind of painful for me because it's just such a serious, sensitive subject, right? That's raw and relevant during that time. He's basically... You know, it's like the wacky IRA terrorist. You know, that is not is so inappropriate. Yeah. And the, the accent yeah. is distractingly bad. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there are some interesting things about the character, like how he sees his the bombs as like a form of artistic expression. It, he's, he's almost more like a serial killer. And this comes out uh, a year before Seven. But in a way, I think it predates Saw, right? With some of the oh, some yeah, of these complex some of these complex devices. And I think there's a really interesting sequence where Garrity takes inspiration from a statue of St. Sebastian, which was a, a Christian saint and martyr. And then, spoiler alert, he turns Lloyd Bridges' character into a sort of grotesque version of that, obviously trying to make some point about martyrdom. That moment is interesting also because as Tommy Lee Jones is crying when he blows up Lloyd Bridges, right? So it's yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. I guess because it's, it's one his of the, fellow Irishman maybe? Like, something or, like I don't that. know what... Quite, but then he smiles after it's over. So that to me, just to touch on that for a second, that speaks to I think what the film sometimes tries to do, which is this unearned um, grandiosity. It basically tries to be operatic but it's too crass, too broad, too blunt. So my kind of end point on on Tommy Lee Jones's performance because his, his accent is just is is really it's really bad, abysmal. It it's and it's uh, but in addition to the accent, it's just a, a sort of it's a silly, playful performance dealing with a deadly serious and extremely sensitive contemporary subject. And I think if he'd played it maybe more straight and more serious. It, it could have worked, but in this, in, in the way that it's done here, it's just too goofy, and the accent is too distracting. It's it's miscalibrated. So I would suggest that, for example, and this again, this goes back to bankability. So the, 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 it wouldn't it wouldn't work for the purposes of the movie from a box office standpoint, but from an artistic standpoint, mm. if say Liam Neeson was playing the oh Jeff Bridges God. role 
And as you said, like Gabriel Byrne was playing um, the Ryan Garrison oh role God. and it was a smaller picture, you know, with a, with a smaller budget, then you could actually really explore this subject in a really, really interesting way. But because of the demands that, you know, Tommy Lee Jones was, was a really big star, a hot star off the back of The Fugitive, Jeff Bridges, this was his first foray into the action genre. You know, that, that's a very bankable and exciting and appealing pairing. And, and when they get together, there's some great scenes towards the end, towards the end of the movie, accents aside. But um, that's my kind of yeah. like analysis of, of, the, of, of where the, it, it's a shame because it kind of sinks the movie, even though they're two phenomenal actors, you know, and there's great moments. Yeah, they are. It, but, but it just doesn't work. But. Let me offer my countertake. I want to go back to my idea that this is a movie about guilt and shame and connection to the, the motherland, so to speak. And so I like the decision to make Jeff Bridges or to cast Jeff Bridges and to hire an actor who is American, born in the United States, not Irish, and does not attempt to do an Irish accent in the film. And also when it's revealed that he is Irish, does not have an Irish accent, he kind of represents an Irish American, right? I don't know that that's the intention in the movie. I don't think they've thought it through that way, but he kind of represents this guy with a strong connection to Ireland. And his connection to Ireland is portrayed as one of, I watched my girlfriend die, I watched my friends die, I watched the way people suffer, and instead of staying, I left. And, mm -hmm. you know... You can view the history of Irish immigration as you can most types of immigration, and especially to America, as the number of Americans that came after, you know, the potato fam famine and the suffering. And I'm not trying to be reductive, but that that's a huge part of why the Irish are here is the famine that happened there. And so you have this guy who's in America and he's kind of hiding his connection or disconnected from his connection to Ireland, except through the suffering that he remembers. And then an Irish guy from his past shows up and is like, you have to suffer because you abandoned us. And you, mm. you, you, know, you left me to be on the run for 20 years and you left me without a home and you left me out of a country. And well, not intentional and maybe, you know, reaching as we often do on this show, I think there's an interesting metaphor for the Irish-American connection to Ireland in the idea that Tommy Lee Jones represents the old world of Ireland and Jeff Bridges sort of yes. represents the, the modern condition of being Irish but not in Ireland and disconnected from it. And I sort think... Of, yeah, Americanized and, and uh, you know, diluted. Uh, and and extent, so, yeah, right? diluted, exactly. And the, every time that Jeff Bridges pulls up to Max's house, there's a shamrock with an American mm -hmm. flag in it. To that point, the, you know, something I noticed on my last viewing was that the kite that's, that um, Lizzie is flying in Cape mm. Cod or wherever it is, is of an American flag. And then Tommy Lee Jones' character turns up and uh, the, the, well, the, the kite gets like entangled on the beach and, and he untangles it and flies it again. Um, so there's obviously some metaphorical intention there. Then you have the fact that it's taking place, the, clim the climax the is it's on the 4th of July, right. a celebration of American independence, right? right. Uh, American separation, yep. if you like, um, or from, uh, you know, its, uh, its previous uh, entanglements. But what I love what right. you're saying about um, the relationship between the two characters uh, of how Ryan Garrity kind of emerges from the darkness 
in this very gothic-like prison to to torment uh, the Liam character is that he is like his demon made manifest, right? Like it, from mm. a from a psychological standpoint, right? He is emerging from the depths of his unconscious uh, to torture him. You know, uh, that is like a really interesting reading. And then you filter that through the idea of the the Irish American experience and all of the 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 you know the the particles of that. And and another character that I want to talk about. Um, moving on to our section about the lady is Susie Amos as Kate because I actually yeah, really absolutely. like their the relationship. It feels very flawed and textured and messy and relatable and and real. He's a little older than her, right? They have problems. He's obviously hiding things from her. She is she, as written. She's a little bit of a cipher, but she's a good enough actor that she imbues it with with some with some life. And I mm-hmm. I also really like. That in the scene at the beginning where he goes to the, the 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 daughter's birthday party, Jeff Bridges, and he's very engaged and and present, and then he, his beeper goes off and he has to go. And in most action movies of this time, she would be the whiny shrew, right? She doesn't want him to quit his job when he says he wants to get a put in for a teacher. Yeah, job, she's right? supportive. Like he's, she's of very open minded. Yeah, he says yeah. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. I just think she's a really good good character, even though she doesn't have a ton to do, and she's somewhat of like the she becomes as often happens in these action movies. She is the target of the villain's, um, you know, animus, and and he has to the male figure has to save her character. So I I really do like their relationship, and I love that it's underpinned. Um, sonically with that return to me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Song, which I just find so powerful. Well, speaking about the music of the movie, I think one thing that we raised earlier, but that reinforces kind of the idea of this, if Tommy Lee Jones is the villain, is is his demon made manifest, or the movie is about the, the Irish yearning for home or whatever, the decision to play the song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for in this movie is really interesting because I think people forget about that jam specifically because when people think about the kind of like a yearning for something that isn't there, experiencing all these things. And I think that's a way to sort of represent Bridges' character as as someone who's left Ireland and has moved on to something else and like kind of is a little conflicted about his his who he is as a person. But we hear Garrity listening to that song. And it should be noted that a couple of years after that album, The Joshua Tree, came out, and a few years before this movie, U2 made a movie called Rattle and Hum, which is a documentary about their experience in Ireland and Bono and the edges and the whole group's obsession with America, like being in America and and playing with B.B. King and, and all these things. Well, so- the, the, to that point, there's something I wanted to say because I, ha- I had the subtitles on and it, the lyrics from um, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For were, were as follows that really like resonated with me. I have spoke with the tongue of angels. Mm-hmm. I have held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone. To me, that was that's like the stuff of Milton and Chaucer. You know what I mean? Like in terms of the the like deeper um, 
spiritual, mythological ideas of this film. Because we we're, we're talking, this is a film about redemption, right? This is a film about, you know, as you said, he's, he's named him, himself Dove. He's gone from, the Jeff Bridges character was a bomb maker who has now become a bomb uh, diffuser. He's searching, his soul is in, in purgatory. Um, that's basically where he is, right? He's in purgatory in a, yeah. in a sense. He's neither Irish nor American. He's a lost soul. He's lying to his partner about who he who he really is. He's pretending to be someone else. And then the, the devil or or a minion of the devil, a demon, emerges and um, so Catholic. You know, and, and and that that exactly. Exactly. He's so goddamn right? Catholic. And and also the yeah. the thing that you mentioned earlier, Saint Sebastian, Christian Satan martyr. Uh, he's commonly t depicted tied to a post and shot with arrows and is said to have been killed during the Roman Emperor Diocletian's persecution of Christians. And the Irish Catholics love to reference the fact that they were persecuted. And I don't mean that glibly, but that suffering is a big part of the culture, right? And it existed in the 90s with what was happening in Ireland and the perception of 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 that. Like, it's it's such a Catholic film in that sense, right? Or such yes. a religious film in that it's sense. It's about guilt. It, it's, it's, it's about guilt. Yeah. Well, there's a moment early in, in, in the movie. In a number of different forms. There's a moment early in the movie where Lloyd Bridges playing the, again, the Lucky Charms leprechaun says, you've done your penance. And Jeff Bridges says back to him, how come I don't feel absolved? And like mm. hugely, hugely uh, Catholic idea. And there's an image in the movie that I think about uh, every time I watch it, which I think relates to the action, which we can get into. So yeah, yeah. the action's good, right? The MIT bit Very at the beginning in is really places. interesting. Forrest Whitaker's headphones is, is pretty cool. The bomb tr bomb squad truck that happens on the uh, Boston Common is one of the best parts of the movie, I think. I think that's a really- Genuinely uh, even though the slow mo is really stretched yeah. out, it, it works really, really well. Um, yeah, the way that shot is is really extraordinary. With the, I mean, that's my that's my dream. That the, yeah. the spinning the spinning hel two helicopters in the shot spinning slow right. in, in slow motion as Jeff Bridges races across towards the bomb truck and then it explodes. And yeah, that that's a Phil. That's a Philly Visually, special. That's what I call the yeah. that's my Philly, <laughs> Philly special. special. <laughs> and then the, that giant explosion on the jetty is really spectacular. That explosion is so big. Is so big. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, that, you know? That's kind of what sold the movie to some extent. In the trailer, that was like a really big moment. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's pretty great. The the chase finale in the car with the booby trap breaks, um, that's it, it's quite exciting, but I think it's ultimately anticlimactic because Jeff Bridges yeah, kind of solves that problem like pretty easily in an almost random way. It doesn't involve anything like yeah. clever or inventive like speed in terms of how he solves the problem. He just kind of like gets lucky in a way is how it how it kind of feels on screen. So right. the action, I think, aesthetically is is really good, but it doesn't combine it with the emotional sweep that something like speed has, where the two things are commingled and that's where you get something that's transcendent. Well, yeah, and also like... I really don't like the Rube Goldberg nature of the bomb in the in the in the boat. It's just and like some of the like cleverness of the bombs in this. And I know we've talked about how he views himself as a as an artist is like so glib, considering that the movie again covers like yes, the trauma of of the bomb. Like it, it feels a little silly, but to reinforce the Irish idea, um, the the mo there's a moment when Jimmy Dove slash Liam McGivney and Ryan Garrity are fighting and. 
Jimmy gets nails in his side of his leg. Yeah. And Marble. that's such a Catholic idea. The idea of being, you know, having nails, you know, as yes. a form of suffering. I mean, it, you know, going back to the, you know, the crucifixion and, and also the lyric in the U2 song, which is one of the, I think the second lyric in the song, which is see the stone set in your eyes, see the thorn twist in your side. Catholic like imagery. Just yeah. this huge level of Catholic imagery in the film that is so like present and it doesn't go away. And I, I don't think I quite realized how Catholic the film was until we sort of put it in this perspective. And it sort of makes me like appreciate the movie more, but I can't say that it ultimately like this stuff takes watching it twice and, and digging in with a, with a buddy to like really yes. get there with it. So I'm yeah. not that a movie needs to reveal it. Like I some. said, yeah, you have to health sinky syndrome yourself to get there. Yeah. But, a little bit. It's like the, on the, yeah. on the fourth viewing is when it really yeah. clicks. It's like, so. me, it's like when I, I, the eighth time you see tenant, all of it really makes sense. That's, that's what I have to say. Let's put our tuxes on and head over to the Irish-themed Die Hard Oscars, a.k.a. Mm. the Action Movie Awards. I have my green tuxedo on. <laughs> I dyed it green. I was say, I we should, it green we should like dye, dye the, we should dye the L.A. River green. Um, yeah. yeah, for, for um, promotion for this podcast, oh no, people will and find then it very confusing. Take a boat down, down to the... <laughs> down yeah, to exactly. the Oscars in, in Hollywood. <laughs> Everyone will be like, what is wrong with these two guys? Are they okay? We show up at the Dolby. Deeply Wait, disturbed they're promoting people. a podcast? This is the weirdest <laughs> thing we've ever seen. Okay, so the first award is the John McClane Yippee-Ki-Yay Award for Best Line. Um, I have three nominees, four nominees. Number The first one was, there was a moment where Jimmy Dove says, uh, in the climax of the film where he confronts uh, Ryan and Garrity has like got his finger on the bomb. And Jimmy Dove says, uh, why don't you do it? Kill us both. I'm tired of war. Found that like really kind of, mm. like, whoa. Mm. Like it felt very honest mm -hmm. and tragic actually. So that was like kind of crept mm -hmm. up on me. It's like, wow, that's that's pretty dark and, and kind of powerful and felt very like an authentic, honest honest moment there. Um, then there's the line that's in the trailer of uh, where Ryan Garrity says, I've come here to create a new country for you called chaos and a new government called anarchy just for you, which I think was kind of, kind of powerful. Good line, but and meaningless then, uh, this in the is, context <laughs> of the movie, I think, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 true, true. And the third? Um, would you look at the spread now? Why is it that a man always gets thrown his best party when he dies? Which is said by Seamus O'Leprechaun, uh, played by um, <laughs> Lloyd Bridges. Yeah, um, I believe his name is Ireland Von Shamrock Face. <laughs> I think that's, uh, that's his <laughs> yeah. actual character's name. The yeah. last one that actually has some something pretty interesting was towards the end of the film, the character Anthony Franklin, played by Forrest Whitaker, um, basically wants to sort of massage the truth. And he says, I got to tell them the truth. I got to tell them how I tracked the terrorists, I disarmed the bomb, and I saved the day. I'm a, and I'm a hero, and everybody loves a hero. The reason I wanted to mention mm. that is that it has echoes of Nothing Lasts Forever, the book upon which Die Hard is based that we talked about in our Die Hard Origins episode in a bit more detail, which actually ends with a messy shootout where Al Powell shoots Carl but kills Dwayne T. Robinson in the process and then tells Joe Leland, who is the John McClane uh, equivalent in the, in the book, to make sure that they cover it up and tell everyone that Dwayne T. Robinson died a hero. So this idea of being a hero is kind of quite thematically important in, in the film. And it's something that both the Forrest Whitaker character and the Jeff Bridges character talk about. So I thought that was kind of actually quite an interesting line. Again, on my 77th yeah. viewing, 
you really push through the wall. It really comes through. Get, it really comes you know, through. This stuff. Um, so those are my choices. Do you have anything to add or about? Well, I just, I, I'm going to go with the Seamus O'Leprechaun line about the the best spread when he dies. Because I, I just think it's funny. And it, it's the it's sort of like the best Lloyd Bridges moment in the movie. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, Lloyd, Lloyd Bridges is, is I think, no, no disrespect to him, uh, miscast in this movie. It's not a good character. Uh, I would say that it, like if it weren't so stupid, it would be offensive. Um, <laughs> and I just need to make a reference to the fact that there's a scene in this movie where Lloyd Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones drink a Guinness together, and it's the worst poured Guinness I've ever seen. It has no head. It doesn't sit because Guinness has to sit when it's poured. That's like a big key thing to the vibe of a Guinness. And the fact that they get handed these beers that look like, oh, it makes me so mad. It literally, it someone like pours petrol. flat Coke into a cup. And yeah. it's like, here's your Guinness. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, that would not fly now. Guinness looks like Guinness. It doesn't look like anything else. And so that, you know, maybe I'm being nitpicky here, but I, I, I hate that moment. But Details I do... are important, right? Again, oh, we talked about how in, Patri in Patriot Games, they get a lot of those details correct, in my opinion, certainly on the UK side, like the newspapers, the the tube, the products that might be in the background. It just, those things do matter. If the film's made well, you don't notice them, but when they're done wrong, you do notice them and it throws you out of the movie. So Yeah, 100%. Um, 100%. The Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing the film. Ooh. And I did have- it's not Lloyd Bridges. Lloyd Bridges as uh, Max O'Bannon. Oh. In in his defense, look, yeah, it's a hideously caricatured interpretation yeah. of an Irish character, but Lloyd Bridges is so warm as an yeah, actor. Yeah, that's true. And so likable. He's still so avuncular and 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 kind of charming, even though it's like kind of yeah. borderline offensive, as you, as you say. So yeah, uh, you know, I did want to just great. give him a little a little bit. No, of that's fair. Balance. No, you're. I appreciate. Um, I appreciate that you're being me, and I'm being you in this episode. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah there's we've, a, there's we've a nice of, role we've, reversal. We, yeah, we swap. We face off. This it's week. weird that I'm the one um, with helicopters uh, going yeah, off outside yeah, the house. Yeah. It's like weird that something, I paid for that. Going on. Then um, Susie Amos as Kate. And the other yeah. character that I thought was was actually arguably the most authentic Boston character in the film was John Finn as Captain Fred Rourke, yep. who is in charge of the bomb squad. And I just like, for example, you, you, you literally referenced it. You know, he's watching the Red Sox at the funeral and is sort of half distracted. And I just felt like that character was very authentic. He's neither particularly good nor particularly bad. He's neither like an idiot nor a genius. He just feels like a regular dude kind of doing his best. He's not necessarily brilliant at his job, but he does care about his guys. And um, I thought that he, he to me, felt an authentic character. So those, those are my three picks. Lloyd Bridges, Susie Amos, and John Finn as the captain, Fred Rourke. I'm going to give it to Susie Amos just because I, I think she's really good in this movie. And I, I feel like I wanted more of her uh, in movies, right, than, than we ended up getting. But I think she's great. I do have to say, give uh, John Finn a shout out for getting the accent the closest to what it should sound I like. I thought so too. In, yeah. Yeah. In addition to being in some really good movies like Cliffhanger. Yes. Carlito's Way. And, you know, a couple other, The Hunted, which I think is a pretty good movie. Like he, I he's, love he, The Hunted. Yeah. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. William that's a, that's, got, that's a Philly special. That's the Philly special right there. No, but yeah, for Tommy sure. Tommy Lee Jones I, doing what he does. It's fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah, I think I think movie. Susie Amos with a with a with a John Finn twist at the top. That's what I would fair, go fair. with. How about how about you? Uh, yeah, I I think that's I think that's spot on. I wouldn't disagree. Let's move on to the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the movie. I've got three noms: Forrest Whitaker as Anthony Franklin, and <sighs> woe betide if you call him Tony. Cuba Gooding Jr. as Bomb Squad class member 
in one scene as an annoying dick who talks about his golden balls during Bridges' class, and then Chris O'Neill as Boyle, the shady guy at the ballpark who seems to be mounting an IRA fundraising operation between handing out hot dogs. Those are my three, <laughs> three so, picks for dick of the movie. I grew up going to Fenway Park once a year as a kid, and I have really distinct memories of like those guys and the hot dog guys, and they that part is perfectly cast, and I think it's like deeply fascinating that he's doing like the hot dog, get your hot dog, and then he has an Irish accent when he talks normally. I just think that that's an interesting idea. It's Give a little a broad, though. To, uh, I think it's a little broad in how it's done, but I, I agree. agree. I think the broad. idea of like a sh a sort of shadow a shadow world um, that connects to, you know, quote, the old country and, you know, yeah. like political movements in plain sight, I think is a really interesting idea. And it, and it, it should in be a in a better movie. A and, and then that also just makes me want to do a quick shout out to uh, Jamel Bowie's uh, podcast, Unclear and Present Danger, where they cover Patriot Games and they spend a lot of time talking about the fundraising that happened for the IRA in the United States and right, the, in right. the 90s and the sort of political class that was involved with that. Uh, the dick of the movie, I don't think Forrest Whitaker is uh, very good in this movie. And the character is just a distraction because of the antagonism. I, I do like the scene where he volunteers to clip his own bomb, but I, the part just doesn't work for me. And, and, and in a way, it's not like Forrest Whitaker's not good in the movie. It's that the part is not good. I agree. I, and I, he would be my pick. And I, I, this would be one of the alterations I would make to the movie because the Forrest Whitaker character is so unlikable um, from from the get-go and doubles down on his unlikability and he's just so irritating that you, mm -hmm. when he does things, to, they try and redeem the character later, like when he, yeah, he has, he clips his own bomb and later he goes into the sort of the belly of the beast into hell to find Jimmy and 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 get him out in the final conflict with with Ryan. But it, it by that point, you're like, I hate this character. I know what the movie's trying to do. It's trying to redeem yeah. him. But we're just like, I hate him. An example of it working really, really well is in Black Rain, where uh, the Michael Douglas character oh, yeah. is partnered with um, the uh, Japanese cop. Ken Takatura um, plays the character in, in Black Rain, who is the sort of by-the-book, law-abiding and decent but to a fault. And uh, it drives the, the Michael Douglas character, who's like a New York cop, who's kind of used to like cutting corners to get things done and has a strong sense of uh, justice. Uh, it, it's a brilliant example of how two characters can both be kind of some likable and rootable, but have philosophically different ideas about how to do something. And when they eventually team up at the end of the movie, it's so satisfying. And it's so fun and like kind of moving, actually. So unfortunately, that is one of the factors of the movie that, that kind of also helps scupper it, despite the fact that, you know, Forrest Whitaker is, is a brilliant actor and has been brilliant in many other things. Mm -hmm. So he's dick of the movie for me. Our final category, and this is one for, for the fact, this is like our encore for, the, yeah. for, our, for our three devoted fans. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Phil's dad. Are you ready yeah, to Phil's do mom. Best Death presented by... Marcus. No more table! Next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't. Hesitate. Very good, Liam. Thank you. Thank Carl, you, Carl, Polizei! Polizei! The Carl, <laughs> oh, Carl, no. Polizei! Oh, no. Carl's Fritz here. has made an appearance. Oh, Fritz my has made an goodness. appearance. Nobody expected <laughs> that to happen except me who saw it in the notes. Whoa! Well, actually, I was going to do Carl, but I pivoted. Oh, you did? Because I, I want to I prep my Carl. I, you have to I, prep I'm going to like yeah. be... Didn't you tell me you were going away to the... strut to the, around like a panther. 
you're going to go out of town um, for a month and just work on it in a cabin yeah, somewhere. Yeah. That was work your on my accent. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, really dial it in. Yeah, exactly. But Fritz, it's, I felt confident just sort of freestyling it. Yeah. Um, so the, the nominees are the Bomb Squad Robot and Truck Explosion, um, which wipes out two of the Bomb Squad characters, Lloyd Bridges' Sacrifice, and Ryan Garrity's Fiery Demise. When I was a kid, I found the Max moment very moving. Um, but now I think it's stupid because there's no reason that he actually has to die. Like, it's just, it's like, in my opinion, an unearned moment. So I'm going to go with Garrity's death because that is a big, big boom, boom. And that works. That's Philly special. That's good stuff. It just really It's good. And, and the, it's, it's a striking visual. And you see Tommy Lee Jones's face as he is, again, that's going for that operatic moment. But yeah. I, again, I feel like structurally that it's kind of problematic because the villain's now out of the equation and the film has another 10, 15 minutes to go. You know, because then they have to get to the bomb and da, 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 and it kind of like that, that to me felt like structurally wonky. Speed does something slightly similar because Dennis Hopper is removed from the equation and then there's still another problem to solve. It's actually quite similar, right? They're in a vehicle with no brakes, but it's done, it's done way better in, in Speed than in, in this film because there is a, it just feels in keeping with the spirit of the movie and it's solved through some kind of ingenuity. And also there's a, the, there's a sort of love story in, in, in it as, as well that kind of reaches a crescendo. So the ending yeah, of this movie is a, little is a little disappointing once Garrity's out of the equation. Um, let's move on to the Double Jeopardy quiz where I'm going to ask you three questions about this movie. Okay. Um, we did, All right. I, I'm really I know glad you hate I don't this, have Liam. to like participate. I know you hate this. Like the, I just want I'm to just talk about that, this like, for a second. The world's foremost <laughs> blown away fucking expert is not here to challenge me on this or yeah, something exactly. like that. It's nice to have a week where I don't have to face off against like the champs. So Right, uh, right, right. So you can just relax and enjoy yourself. But Liam hates this, but we did actually do it and we considered getting rid of it. But we did a, we did a little poll on Twitter and it had a 90% of people apparently enjoyed this. So yeah, uh, you I'm hired bots. You got Liam. Phil Philly special bots <laughs> to vote for but it. They all count. Yeah. They're the votes. Okay. Question number one. Forrest Whitaker appears in Blown Away as Boston Bomb Squad member Anthony Franklin. But two years earlier, he appeared in another popular thriller that also had an IRA theme. Can you name this highly acclaimed 1992 film? I need to call Al. I need a clue. You need to call Al? Okay, we're going to phone a friend. We're going to radio Al Powell. I'm going to call Manfred, the, the robot, the robot, the bomb detecting <laughs> robot this time. He's coming out. Yeah. Man Hello. Whitaker played a British soldier in this film, which was directed by Neil Jordan and was particularly famous for its surprising twist. Thanks, Manfred. Thank you, Manfred. I'm going to go ahead and say what I thought it was, and I'm annoyed at myself for not just saying it, and that film is The Crying Game. It is correct, in which Whitaker plays the character of Jody, the lover of Jay Davidson's character, Dill. What a wow. great fucking movie, man. Yeah. What a movie The Crying Game is. Like, that's, I wonder how it holds up. I haven't seen subject, it in a long it's time. brilliant. I, yeah. I watched it like a year or so ago. Okay. I'd actually never seen it. So I knew the famous twist. And even knowing that twist, it was still absolutely brilliant. Okay. I love that movie. I got to give so it another watch. It's been a long, give it long another, time. Give it another whirl. Um, okay. Question number two. Blown away cinematographer Peter Levy previously shot another movie that takes place in the Die Hard extended cinematic universe. Can you name it? Commando? It's not correct. Uh, I like where your head's at. Does it also star... Uh, wait, wait. Is it directed by John McTiernan? It is not. 
Is it a movie a sequel to a movie directed by John McTiernan? No. Oh. I don't know what it is. Do you want the, wait, do you want to call Al again or yeah, call, uh, Manfred? call Al. We'll wait, Manfred? Wait, 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 wait. Have we covered the movie on the podcast? We have. We have. Is it Ricochet? It is. Oh, nice. Yep. Rick, For some reason, I, well, my head went to Predator, but then I was like, I don't think Predator is in the Val Verde yep. extended cinematic universe. Ricochet is, of course, directly connected to the Die Hard via the appearance of one very specific character. And if you want to know more about that, check out our episode. Yeah, I'm not telling Ricochet. you now. I'm not telling you now. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Manfred, um, don't weigh in here, Manfred. <laughs> Okay. I'm, I'm a little annoyed and, we discovered the Manfred joke so late in the episode. No, I feel like it's kind of like the best thing that at the I've beginning, done in my you life. You should have been like, and this week's movie is blown away. And I should have been like, I'm Manfred. Presented by Manfred. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hello. I suck at typing. A girl almost oh, yeah. died because of me. Whoops. Oh my God. Mm, it's mm. no Johnny Five. No. That way. <laughs> All right. Um, Number three, is, and it's time for a final question as part of Convoluted Corner. Corner, 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 corner. The sound you hear is a thousand people turning off this podcast if we had a thousand people listening. <laughs> Several characters in Blown Away have Celtic ancestry, something which is integral to the film's story. Director Stephen Hopkins got his start working as a second unit director on a 1986 dark fantasy movie where the idea of Celtic ancestry was also central to the conceit and the title. Can you name that movie? Highlander. Yes! You Highlander, you, you say? You, Funny you, you bring that up you. because I appeared on uh, the show Eye of the Duck uh, with our friends. Who you're we you're cutting into my on, outro uh, material. You're cutting into my outro material. Come on, Phil. I had to do. I was on uh, an episode of this wonderful podcast, Eye of the Duck, talking about Highlander. So check that out. It's a great show. We had those guys on, Dom Nero and Adam Adam Bolerich for our fugitive episode. And I absolutely, I love Highlander and I loved talking about it. So I really like that one. I, I, I appreciate that. And I love those guys. So that's blown away. Um, Phil. Any final thoughts? I, I I appreciate this movie as I often always do after we finish talking about it, but I ultimately think it's fairly unsuccessful. And I think that could be because it's a product of a certain time. And I think it could be that 30 years of hindsight weaken it. But I don't know. Uh, the action's good. Uh, Bridges is good. What do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. There's some great music. There's some great action sequences. There's a really good performance from Jeff Bridges. The other thing I was going to say, like the, my biggest point on this is that Jeff Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones are in two different movies. Jeff Bridges is yeah, in a serious true. political thriller a la Arlington Road, a movie he would make later. I um, love that movie. It's great, right? Jeff Bridges is, is in a movie like that, you know, or an Alan J. Pac you know, Pakula movie. And Tommy Lee Jones is in something like To, to the Left of Under Siege, a, a more like lighthearted um action movie where you can be kind of a bit more playful and and silly and just play a That's slightly a good point. You know, I hadn't slightly that. cartoonish villain right so that their tonality is not in sync and as a result it, it it sort of exacerbates some of the problems with the film's um you know cultural portrayals but i've gone back and forth on this movie but i've ended up kind of liking it in an odd way yeah i think in i spite do too of its flaws. yeah it's got some flaws but and it's interesting you know, a movie can be worth seeing and valuable without being quote unquote good, right? Like there's, yes, that, there's well something said. to that idea. 
Yeah, thank you very much. You know what else is well said? This podcast. What What are bots, right? Yeah, exactly. What are bots, right? Uh, People are going to start thinking that's true now. Yes, we we don't have bots. We we have bots, but we don't have bots. We would never have bots. In fact, we had two real human beings write reviews of the show that I wanted to share. One is from Ben Treblecook. He gave the show five stars. And he said, yippee pod, yay. Yippee pod, yay! A terrific breath of fresh air. Just when you think there are too many diehard podcasts wearily and monotonously churning out the same information about your beloved treasure of a cinematic classic, along come Phil and Liam with a wonderful spin. I've binged three episodes today, Loving Striking Distance and Hard Target, the latter of which I was fortunate to have actually seen with John Woo himself 30 years wow. ago. Keep them coming, guys. Thanks, Ben. We also Absolutely. got a review from Douglas, 9420, titled Yippee Kai Yay, five stars. So there's a lot of yips, a lot of yippies, understandably, in the notes. Into it. So five stars. These guys do a great job of not just being informative, but create great laughs. No more table. Makes for a great listen. Action movies deserve recognition, and these guys are given it. Also, they respond to emails. Shows that they care about their listeners. So enjoy the party and have a few laughs. Thank you, Douglas. And yes, we do respond to emails. If you have like a, you know, a question, a query, if you want us to talk about something in one of these movies, you want to send us a voice memo, diehardoab at gmail.com. That's how you can get in touch with us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. I'm uh, sorry. Uh, excuse me. You can also get in touch with us on X. It will always be Twitter. I'm at Liam G. Billingham. The podcast is diehardoab. Now, Phil, you you are constantly on Twitter these days, right? Just tweeting up a storm, talking about AI and the bots <laughs> that you're inventing, right? That's that's sort of been your thing lately. I'm creating an army of bots to to like clog Twitter just to irritate um, Elon Musk, our great leader. Um, yeah, 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 for <laughs> sure. Yeah. The man who tells me how to think. Yeah, yep, I just I love like, it. follow follow, yum, 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 follow yum, his yum. instructions yeah. um, unquestioningly. Um, yes, I am on, on Twitter. Um, yeah, hit me up, uh, Philip, just at Philip Gawthorn. Um, love to banter about hard boiled and uh, nothing else. That's, That's it. it. <laughs> Speaking of banter, uh, yes, Phil, we've we've had done some done some potting lately, not of our own. We've we've mm. we've we've split up, you know, just for some episodes where we've recorded with other people. So Phil recently was on Eye of the Duck, hosted by our pals Dom Nero and Adam Volerich, talking about Highlander, and you can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And I was recently on a podcast I love called Cows in the Field, which is hosted by Justin and Laura Koo. It's a podcast about philosophical ideas in mainstream movies. We were going back and forth about what film to cover. He suggested Starship Troopers, the 1997 Paul Verhoeven masterpiece. Who directed that? Uh, uh, a guy named uh, <laughs> Paul Verhoeven. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah we've I've never talked him. about him before on the pod, but you yeah. should check out his work. Has if he you come haven't. up? <laughs> and I am really proud of the episode we did together. We talked a lot about the experience of seeing that movie when you're 14 and how you're like, this is cool and the bugs explode. And then seeing it when you're, you know, 21 post uh, 2001 and post the second, you know, war in Iraq and just what that movie means and how, and I think Phil, we've talked about this. It is a great work of subversive cinema. Maybe the yeah, great I think, I think American it's the movie. Most, absolutely. I think it's the most subversive film ever made. And I cannot believe that Paul Verhoeven, the eternal prankster 
took $100 million of a major movie studio, cast Ken and Barbie, uh, like way ahead of the curve on that, and mm -hmm. basically fucked with everybody's heads and made a sort yeah. of pro-fascist, anti-fascist uh, satire that just sort of is, is next-level head-scratching genius. 90210, so, um, but make it fascist, is how I try to describe it to people. Yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely genius. A fascinating film to discuss. Thank you, Justin and Laura. Um, and, you know, we got we got to I've had some thoughts about where we can get them on the pod that I'll talk to you about. Um, right. Also, friend of the pod, future guest and the king of movie podcasting, Blake Howard, uh, recently put together a documentary documentary series about Jim Henson. And I believe it's 12 episodes. It's it's just started coming out. And he very kindly asked me to voice Jim Henson in the series. Wow. So, so I am cool. I'm doing some acting. It is really cool. And and it's, you know, it's the second time he's done this. He had me play Spielberg in a in a doc essay a while back and Henson. And and to be clear, I'm not doing impressions of these guys, but just he just said, you know, you've I, I want you to do it. And that was really cool. And and it's available now the first episode on one one heat minute uh podcast feed. We'll put the link in the notes to all of these things. And and also the first episode features none other than Eye of the Ducks Adam Volerich talking about Jim Henson. And I had no idea that was going to be the case. So a lot of Adam Volerich talk on this episode of the pod. Adam, if you're Fantastic. if you're listening. Well, he's great. We love him. Yeah. Come back. Come back. Yeah, no. We're we're so lucky to have so many great listeners and so many great people asking us to do things like this. And it's a real testament. It feels nice to, to be part uh, of this community of, yeah, of film lovers and one hundred percent. But yes. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show. But the most important thing you can do, please let your friends know about Die Hard on a Blank. Next time on the show, Phil. We are doing one of the three films that came out in the summer of that, the, the golden summer, the golden action movie summer of 1994. We are doing James Cameron's True Lies. We'll be back next time with some new FBI guys. I... I guess. Carl, Carl, Polizei. The Polizei. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorn. Liam Billingham co hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, Tell your movie podcast loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.